Coming up on Stu Does America, some conspiracy theories are more out there than others. But just how out there is the idea that the COVID-19 virus came from a lab instead of a bowl of bat soup? We'll look into that. Yesterday, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was admitted into the hospital because of coronavirus. Now he's being moved to the ICU. Really scary stuff, and we'll have the latest. And the conservative millennial, Ali Beth Stuckey, uh, tells us how falling back on our faith is more important than ever. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review. I mean, look, just a quick five stars on iTunes. Maybe the message all the cool kids like to type. It's great. Whatever. If you're on the YouTubes, click the bell and, of course, select all notifications so you'll know whenever we post new stuff. And if you happen to be getting a trillion dollars from the government any day now, use a few of those dollars to subscribe to Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 30 bucks, our biggest savings ever. I'm not sure how I'll have a lot of time to get to it today, but I've been wanting to start a conspiracy theory that both Taylor Swift and Renee Zellweger are mostly feline. Look at a picture of either one of them next to a cat and try to deny the truth. I dare you. Stu does America. Welcome to the program. No, well, are you guys six feet away? Yeah. Okay, I can do it myself. No more mask. Okay, in the age of, of course, internets and social medias, there is no shortage of the amount of conspiracy theories and accompanying YouTube documentaries to fill every second of every day when you're supposed to be working. This involves a conspiracy theory which right. is based around Saddam Hussein having a Stargate. As in the sci-fi ser- series Stargate. Indeed. Of which the, the people in Stargate I've only ever seen in Stargate. Not, not that that's a problem. That's not a problem. You know. Saddam Hussein's got Stargate. Hit me with more info, please. Okay. So, what if the Iraq war wasn't for oil? Or to eliminate a potential nuclear threat? So you're saying there's a portal to an alternate alien dimension? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> pretty much locked it down for me. Fact after fact after fact. What else can you do? Some theories are incredibly convincing and delivered by incredibly handsome and credible sources. We all know Alex Jones is a fan of conspiracies. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Serious crap. But this is the one conspiracy he doesn't like. It has long been reported on reputable sources like WordPress websites and 4chan threads that Alex Jones is, in fact, the legendary comedian Bill Hicks. Go back and watch that clip, man. It is devastating. I'm telling you. Maybe we'll link to that uh, from the Twitter's feed. Other uh, theories, of course, not quite as credible. Avril Lavigne died and was replaced by a lookalike. There are some crazy details that go along with this one. But to sum up this theory, Avril Lavigne allegedly died in 2003 and was replaced by a lookalike in order to keep her promising career going. I mean, if you're gonna spend all the time coming up with a conspiracy theory and you're going to replace a person with a lookalike, Avril Lavigne? It just doesn't seem like there'd just be enough people to want to put the effort in, frankly. But there's a new conspiracy in the world of COVID-19 that just might wind up being true. 
What is the origin of this coronavirus? From the beginning, we were told that it came from some strange interaction between a bat, some broth, and a spoon. The bat soup thesis described a scenario where a bat purchased at a wet market in Wuhan, carried the virus, was eaten, and then passed the disease to humans. First of all, if it's true, solid revenge for the bat. You gotta admit it, right? I mean, look, you win this round. Nice work, bat. Gotta give him that. Well, the theory has given some life to very solid tweets, like this one from Robert Griffin III, who wrote, whoever said one person can't change the world never ate an undercooked bat. (laughs) Having no problems from that at all. And a great Babylon Bee uh, article, like this one, Chick-fil-A changing its signs to read, eat fewer bats. The more likely scenario was there was some interaction between a bat and another animal that led to the transmission to humans. And it's not just some normal bat, we should be clear here. We're talking about the horseshoe bat. Look at this thing. Imagine thinking you should ingest that. If that creature is flying around inside your house, you burn your house to the ground. And even then, my guess is it gets out anyway, despite being engulfed in flames. And as it passes you by, it looks you directly in the eye and it shrugs before opening its mouth and swallowing you whole. It's true. Which reminds me of another conspiracy theory you need to know about, that Prince Charles is actually a vampire. The genealogy shows that I'm descended from Vlad the Impaler. So I do have a bit of a stake in the country. As it were. In fact, it seems the two share a very interesting bloodline indeed. Prince Charles. I am a descendant of Dracula, plus reptilian correlations, historical and biblical. When you are descended from the likes of Henry VIII and Queen Victoria, it takes quite something to get you excited about a new addition to your family tree. But when Prince Charles found out he was related to Dracula, or, to give him his actual name, Vlad the Impaler, he was more than a little delighted. So you always know a conspiracy theory is legitimate if they use the automated voice. That's one way to always tell. Computers can't lie. It's true. And I'll note, if you don't already believe that Prince Charles is actually the fusion of human and bat, remember, he has coronavirus. He's now leaving self-isolation, which should terrify all of us, honestly, at least those with necks. But what about the conspiracy theory that COVID-19 actually came from a laboratory in Wuhan? Not as a bioweapon or some man-made plague but as a mistake. Here's what we know, or at least we kind of think we know at least. The horseshoe bat, the likely source of the disease, does not exist around Wuhan. They live hundreds of miles away and really never come near cities at all. The horseshoe bat was not sold in the Wuhan wet market or seemingly any other wet market in China. So where did it come from? On November 18th, 2019, the Wuhan Institute of Virology which is a few miles away from the wet market, we've heard so much about, posted a job opening, said this, taking bats as the research object, I will answer the molecular mechanism that can coexist with Ebola and SARS-associated coronavirus for a long time without disease and its relationship with flight and longevity. Okay, a a little creepy. Then they seemingly found a bunch of new viruses from those bats, and on Christmas Eve last year, the Institute issued another job posting for someone to work in, quote, long-term research on the pathogenic biology of bats carrying important viruses 
has confirmed the origin of bats of major new human and livestock infectious diseases such as SARS and SADS uh, and a large number of new bat and rodent new viruses that have been discovered and identified. I'm sure that's exact translation, but you get the point there. I mean, SARS, remember COVID-19 is, it's, it's real name is like SARS-2 or whatever it is. It's like the sequel. It's the really bad sequel to SARS. Uh, but COVID-19 uh, fits the description there. There's a large group of researchers in this sort of story that kind of seem to disappear suddenly or retract their work. But let's focus on one piece of evidence in particular. A Chinese researcher, now this is not just some number, nobody, a formerly a postdoctoral research fellow at Harvard, he posted a study of his own. He's currently working at a university controlled by the Chinese government. Let me give you an extended quote here so that you could actually get the full context. Quote, we screened the area around the seafood market, talking about the COVID-19 discovery, and identified two laboratories conducting research on bat coronavirus within 280 meters from the market. There was the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the WHCDC. They hosted animals in laboratories for research purpose, one of which was specialized in pathogens, collection, and identification. The expert in collection, remember this guy, described that he once was attacked by bats and, and the blood of a bat shot on his skin. He knew the extreme danger of the infection, so he quarantined himself for, here's a magic number, 14 days. In another accident, he quarantined himself again because bats had peed on him. Not sure what the salary is, but should be higher. The WHCDC was also, this is going back to the quote, by the way, uh, was also adjacent to the Union Hospital, where the first group of doctors were infected during this epidemic. It is plausible that the virus leaked around and some of them contaminated the initial patients in this epidemic, though solid proofs are needed in future study. In addition to the origins of natural recombination and intermediate host, the killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Again, this is a source that is run by the Chinese government. Safety level may need to be reinforced in high-risk biohazardous laboratories. Regulations may be taken to relocate these laboratories far away from city centers and other densely populated places. Do you think? Wow, are you sure? I mean, I'm more on the side of putting the research facility directly in between the warming trays at Golden Corral. But maybe I'm alone. The researcher here uh, has since told the Wall Street Journal... Again, remember, his organization run by the Chinese government. He's now told the Wall Street Journal that he has withdrawn that opinion and also that the cold steel of the pistol on the back of his head was starting to irritate his scalp. The expert he refers to that collects the samples, remember this guy? And he was peed on, he was splashed with bat blood. Okay, He was the subject of a documentary produced, again, by the Chinese government, which highlighted how he collects samples of bat viruses. Says among all known creatures, uh, the bats are rich in various viruses inside. You can find most viruses responsible for human diseases like rabies virus, SARS, and Ebola. Accordingly, the caves frequented by bats become our main battlefields. And then we get this cool dip to black, and then they show you the bats on the ceiling. Imagine going to work at a place like this. There's just thousands of bats everywhere. It is revolting. 
The documentary is basically an attempt to show how far the Chinese are going to help with the world's viruses and was made back in 2017. To illustrate this, they show these lunatics walking around the creepy bat caves and discussing what they face. Watch out! Most bats living here are horseshoe bats. If we keep our skin bare, we can easily get contact with the feces of bats and co contaminate uh, everything. So it is highly risky here. That's what they were saying back and forth in the clip. Wow! Now we don't know that COVID-19 came from a lab. But we do know that the bats that carry it aren't from the area, weren't sold at that market, but they were in research labs right down the street, being used to study rare viruses that their own researchers thought COVID-19 came from the lab and that the guy collecting the samples has been peed on and splashed with the blood of horseshoe bats, a situation he himself called highly risky. Some will say, that this should stop people from criticizing the Chinese for eating bats. And I want to be clear here. The reason I don't think Chinese should eat bats has absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus. They should stop doing it because it's disgusting. I don't care if eating bats cured the coronavirus. They still shouldn't do it. Is this whole thing a conspiracy theory? I honestly don't think it is. And if you watch the show, you know I don't, don't jump for every conspiracy theory out there. Only the really good ones. Bits and pieces of this have been covered by some sources you might expect, like Fox News and National Review, but also by the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. The evidence here is real and at least builds a strong circumstantial case that invites a lot more research and inquiry. We know China has been lying, and this would give a pretty plausible reason why. It doesn't explain everything, of course. For example, it doesn't explain what exactly we are looking at when there is a full moon. Again, my guess is that when the moon's in like quarter phases or slivers or other things, you're actually looking at the moon. I think when it becomes, starts to get full or well lit on the face, they cover it with a hologram so that we can't see what they're doing under there. Um, it's not what you think it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Look, I don't know if COVID-19 came from one of these labs or not, but if you think the Chinese government story is true, the truth is not what you think it is. I can tell you that. Scientists and doctors cannot tell us where or when the next pandemic will strike or how severe it'll be. But most agree, at some point, we are likely to face another pandemic. Ah, the good old days. Remember those days when we were just scared of terrorists and war and <laughs> that was our big concern. Oh, my gosh, those are so funny. Actually, the big concern of George W. Bush apparently was a pandemic. Uh, he was actually obsessed by this uh, in his second term. Uh, he read a book about uh, it's kind of the mo most well-known book about the 1918 uh, Spanish flu, which came from Spain. Well, actually, it didn't really come from Spain, but it's still that's the people they associated it with Spain because Spain was the first place kind of talking about it in the media. And that's why people called it the Spanish flu. Spain kind of got screwed on it, to be honest with you. But really, did anyone ever think Spain was bad because of the Spanish flu? Just like did anybody ever think China, the Chinese people were bad because of the Wuhan virus? No, they think they're bad because the Chinese government see the first segment uh, of this particular program. But Bush was very obsessed with uh, the pandemic. Did the media care about that back in the day? Not really. 
didn't really care all that much. What they cared about was that George W. Bush stumbled over his speeches all the time. And they got to laugh and laugh and laugh. It was hilarious. Uh, but Bush actually did a lot to prepare us for a pandemic. And then uh, it was torn down in the next administration uh, and really never replenished. Uh, it's really a sad sort of story. And it uh, is one I wish we kind of listened to uh, George W. Bush a little bit more. He wasn't right on everything, but he was right here. Luckily, though, we had Bush to mock for stumbling through speeches, which never happens with the current 2020 presidential candidate of the Democrats. We're going to have to do a convention, may have to do a virtual convention. I don't I think we should be thinking about that right now. Okay. The idea of holding a convention is going to be necessary, but we may not be able to put 10, 20, 30,000 people in one place. And that's very possible. Okay. Again, let's see where it is. What we do between now and then is going to dictate a lot of that as well. Okay. But my point is that point. I think you just got to follow the science. Mm-hmm. Listen to the experts. Okay. Listen to the Fauci's of the world. Okay. And if that's the case, it's the case where we can't cannot let this we've never allowed any crisis from the civil war straight through to the pandemic of 17 all the way around 16 17. we have never 16. never let our democracy sake second fiddle way that we can both have a democracy, democracy and elections and at the same time correct the public health our, we've never let our democracy sake second fiddle i want you to remember that uh if anyone ever questions joe biden just say look we cannot let our democracy sake second fiddle Okay, in 16 or 17. Just remember that. The Spanish flu of 18, I think it happened in 1916 or 17. I can't remember which one, but just look that up. I'm I'm sure it's uh, important. Look, the media stuff we go over a lot. I understand it's at some level minor in this uh, particular moment, though when we get out of this moment, uh, we get past this whole flu thing. It's going to be flu thing, Wuhan flu. Uh, the coronavirus uh, issue and this crisis, we're going to have a lot to fight for. And we're going to need to make sure that we're holding the media responsible. That's why hopefully you come here, right? I mean, this is why the Blaze TV exists. If you want to support Blaze TV, I, I, I would love for you to subscribe. If you go to blazetv.com slash stew, use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 30 bucks. It's our lowest offer ever. Uh, we'd really appreciate it because this is how you know we're able to do legitimate investigations. We're you know, able to push back on the media. Um, and we do that uh, often. Uh, one of the things I'm very interested in right now is the way the media is portraying Trump's sort of love affair with hydroxychloroquine. Uh, it is a it's a drug. You've heard a lot about it. It's an anti-malaria drug. Typically, it's also used for things like lupus, uh, many other causes. And, you know, look, it's been one of those things where there's been some issues with uh, the way Trump has talked about it and others in the media have talked about it because there are people like who have lupus and need this every day and they're having trouble getting it. That is a struggle and it's important uh, to make sure that that gets taken care of. On the other side of this is, look, there is some hope here and we have seen some uh, medical studies, uh, very small scale, that have showed promise. We've seen some promise uh, in anecdotal places. We've also seen some studies that have not showed much improvement. It may be that just a certain subset of patients benefit from this, um, but that would be great, right? If anyone could benefit off of this, we should all be celebrating it. And if you listen to Trump's words, most of the time, all he says is, I really am hopeful for this. I'm not a doctor. Um, I am just a person who is really hopeful and wants this uh, thing to go away. And maybe there's something here we're, we're, we've, we're stockpiling a bunch of doses. We're trying to get this out, get into testing. And it would be a great thing if it's positive. The media likes to spin that as if he is playing doctor. 
Um, he is a guy who is saying this is definitely going to work when over and over again he qualifies with we have to do the testing. Um, Steve Krakauer pointed out in his newsletter about um, one thing I did not know on this issue, uh, which is they wreck Trump all the time for promoting hydroxychloroquine as a potential solution. And he hits other ones as well. They're actually doing over 70 different drugs and uh, treatments uh, to try to come up with something that will work. Uh, As he points out, though, all these big media companies have bashed Trump over and over again about hydroxychloroquine. Um, However, longtime ABC News executive John McConnell was prescribed hydroxychloroquine to treat his coronavirus from the highly reputable Cleveland Clinic. And it worked. An ABC News executive, a Cleveland Clinic spokesperson, said they prescribed the drug when appropriate to coronavirus uh, uh, patients. Look, it's not going to work for everybody. But to act as if you really believe Trump is saying everyone should go out and take take it. And, you know, this was probably uh, personified best with them when they were blaming Trump for the ridiculous uh, people who were taking their fish tank cleaner because it had a similar word, similar ingredient in it. Um, that is uh, that's it's kind of like their 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 path right now. And it's a ridiculous path. It's not a, it's not a legitimate path. He goes on to bring up this example as well. While Trump has gotten mostly negative press, some of it deserved, two New York Democratic politicians have been treated far better. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has received mixed coverage, but he made a stunning comment on Friday that received barely any attention. De Blasio said he learned in the last 48 hours that asymptomatic people can spread the disease. Now, every, I think everybody knows that. This is a guy in New York City who doesn't know that yet? How do you think all your people are infected? And they're not all dying. They're not all having uh, uh, major symptoms. Many of them are asymptomatic and they don't even know that they're carrying it. This is almost exactly this comment made by GOP governor Brian Kemp two days earlier, which was pilloried by Anderson Cooper and Rachel Maddow. De Blasio's similar comment was completely ignored by CNN and MSNBC. Uh, It's just not right. I will say there's been a few uh, bright spots. I keep bashing uh, de Blasio and Cuomo because I don't think they're doing a good good job at all. I don't understand the positive press. I just think that the media happens to live in New York, knows these guys. Um, De Blasio has been mixed, but I mean, Cuomo has been glowing coverage. I keep saying this on the other side of the country. We have an example of another big Democratic state with a uh, with a, a guy who's, I think, done a much better job where cases are much, much smaller in number, that's Gavin Newsom. And I don't agree with him on a lot, but listen to him. He continues to uh, not only do a better job than Cuomo, but also give the president credit for helping out. It's been a really good example of how you can work together in a crisis. Watch. You know, uh, do you feel like you have to feed this guy's ego to get the respirators and to get the PPEs? Is that what's going on? We're involved in over 68 lawsuits with the Trump administration. And so uh, there's no question we have had our differences of opinion on many issues. But I just want to remind you and maybe others that are not aware of this. um, We've been at this since late January. From my perspective, the relationship has been strong and I'm not doing it to kiss the ring. I'm not doing it uh, in a way, you know, that I'm just being forthright. He returns calls. He reaches out. Uh, he's been proactive. Uh, we got that mercy ship down here in Los Angeles. That was directly because he sent it down here. 2,000 uh, medical uh, units came to the state of California, these FMS, these these field medical stations. Uh, and that's been very, very helpful. I, you know, it was the first time I saw it was today. And, uh, you know, everyone's trying to throw Cuomo out there. 
as this guy that should replace Biden. I mean, Gavin Newsom is a much better fit to me. Uh, Hopefully he doesn't run. Keep Biden in there because Biden is a disaster. Uh, But this is the actual sign of how a Democrat and a Republican can work together, can give each other credit, can say one's doing a good job, can recognize that the other is doing a good job in the middle of something that's much, much more important than politics. Let's hope it continues. Back in a second. That this is the moment to do everything that you can on the presidential guidelines. This is the moment to not be going to the grocery store, not going to the pharmacy, but doing everything you can to keep your family and your friends safe. And that means everybody doing the six feet distancing, washing your hands. You're taking grocery stores from us now, too? Seriously? I've never loved grocery stores more than I do now, and I'm fat. I, I thought that was the one place we were allowed to go. Now we can't even go to the grocery store. Oh, I'm going to lose my mind. I've been to 7-Eleven more times uh, in the past couple weeks. I, I've been there like 500 times a day. It's the only place that's open around here, so I just keep going to it all the time. I just, I just want to go hang out inside. But I guess we're not supposed to. We're supposed to wear masks now. Look, I want to leave you, uh, you know, a lot of shows do the opposite of this. I want to leave you a little of bad news tonight. Uh, just to make you feel a little bad as you leave the show. You know, John Krasinski's doing this thing, uh, some good news, and he's getting all this attention for it. Let's do the opposite. Here's some really crappy news. Number one. Boris Johnson went to the hospital. Uh, it, it, that was bad, and it was a little bit questionable. And they were like, no, don't worry. He's just in there for tests. Nothing's going wrong. Now he's been moved to the ICU. You go to the ICU after 10 days of this thing. That is not a freaking good sign, man. I, God, I hope he's okay. We have not lost him. You know, I mean, look, everybody who dies is a major problem. I don't, you know, you hate to put world leaders up on some pedestal. But this is going to hit... Certainly Great Britain, and I think the world in a really different way. God forbid something happens with Boris Johnson. We, we hope he can recover. Maybe one of these drugs will be uh, important in that, uh, in that process. Um, there's also some news that was interpreted as good, but let me just throw some like really damp, a damp, cold rag on top of that for a second. The University of Washington study, which has been one of the most optimistic studies that, uh, that experts have cited, has given uh, a, was giving a total death count of about 90,000 um, as of uh, yesterday. They revise it. They revise it every day, and they revise it down to about 81 or 82,000 today. And it was, you know, kind of greeted with very open arms by a lot of people who were obviously, A, hoping for the best news, and B, sort of skeptical of the way we've been handling this whole thing. The issue is they revise this all the time. It was 80,000 last week. It went up to 90,000 mid last week, and then it came back down to 80,000. It's all within their margin of error. It's not really all that different than what they were predicting the day before. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't been watching this model all that closely. I don't want you to get false hope, um, but there could be some good there. The other thing is we get a lot of this pushback from um, people who like, want to believe the best about what's going on is that maybe there's something in the way these these results are calculated as far as deaths go. And maybe they're not all really COVID-19. Uh, the issue is, is this is just kind of standard the way that they do this. Multiple causes of death is very standard. Um, you know, about three quarters of all deaths fall under that category. They usually have multiple causes. Um, so that's not, uh, you know, that, that I think that data's got a lot more attention um, than it should have. On the other hand, some other uh, reporting has come out. The Wall Street Journal was in Italy and did a on-the-ground sort of reporting piece, which is really in-depth, that shows that they are massively underestimating the number of deaths in Italy. And the New York Times came out with one today um, that talked about 
uh, the United States, not as bad as Italy, but is also underestimating. And, and it, look, it makes sense, right? Someone dies at home. Uh, you're, we don't have enough tests to go and we don't have to, we're not worried about that right now. If they're dead, we go get there. They wind up being positive or negative for coronavirus. That's something we'll deal with later and try to figure out how many people had it when they died. Right now, we need those tests for people who, you know, are alive. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. One uh, estimate showed that about I think uh, one of the expert, uh, one of the uh, officials from uh, from New York was saying about 20 people per day die in New York City um, at their homes. Normally, that number right now is over 200 a day. So we have no idea, uh, honestly, what these numbers will be. Scientists will be sorting this out for a long time to come. All we need to do is get through this, get back to work, get our lives back to normal. We'll deal with all the numbers and in, in, in record keeping later. Back in a second. Allie Beth Stuckey is someone you just might be familiar with here at Blaze Media. Her podcast, Relatable, tackles theological, cultural, and political issues from a conservative perspective. And her first book, I love this title, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. It comes out in August. Allie, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really a crazy time right now. I mean, we are, this is the strangest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. And so many people have had their entire lives changed, not really with any notice or any real plan. Um, First of all, how are you dealing with this? How is it changing? How has life changed for you? Well, my husband has been working from home for about three weeks now, and we are figuring out how to both work from home with an almost nine month old. So Mm. helping each other out as much as we can, trying to balance, you know, being parents and working and all that good stuff. And it's, I mean, it's been pretty fun, honestly. There are times and there are days when we're really antsy and we're like, oh my gosh, I just can't wait for things to go back to normal. My husband, for example, he is dying to watch some kind of athletic event. He's (laughs) like, I will literally pay anything to watch a sport right now. And I'll I'll catch him watching like some kind of athletic competition from like three years ago just because he's dying (laughs) for it. Uh, But other than that, other than, you know, staying home and trying to help the people that we can help while also keeping our social distance. Um, yeah, that that's basically what we've been doing. We feel very fortunate, you know, like you said, for some people, their entire lives have been turned upside down and they are desperate maybe for the first time in their lives, but definitely more than they've ever been. Um, so there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about and there's a lot of people to be thinking about and praying for and helping as much as we can. Sure, sure. I mean, and to your point on sports, we're at the point where we're watching video game recreations of actual yeah. events. I mean, this is, it's getting pathetic and I, I feel, I feel his pain on that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I think you see a lot of, which is, is kind of a little weird, is this sort of thing where people are on the internet and they're saying like, oh, I can't believe what's going on. I'm home. I Give me another glass of wine. Uh, you know, I want to throw my kids out the window. Part of, part of it, I understand you're trying to deal with a tough time with humor. Part of it sort of makes me cringe, though. Oh, definitely. It's something I talk about a lot on my podcast is toxic mommy culture. Mm. And as I say that, some people get immediately defensive and they think that I'm being judgmental. And they say, oh, you only have one kid. Wait till you have four teenagers. You'll know why we joke about getting drunk and things like that. (laughs) 
Of course, I only have I only have one child, so I'm not pretending to know all of the struggles of being a parent of multiple kids or parents of preteens or things like that. But of course, from a Christian perspective, everything on my podcast, I try to approach from a biblical perspective. That is not the biblical or even the positive way to think about parenting. And now I understand, like you said, sometimes we're just being lighthearted and people are just blowing off some steam. Okay, it's funny, haha. But sometimes it goes too far to the point to where it just seems like people are bullying their kids because they know their kids can't read or they know their kids aren't on social media, aren't on the Internet. But one day, their kids are going to be able to read that. And I do wonder how that affects a child's psyche and how that affects how they view parenting and how people who are not parents view parenting and kids and things like that. The fact of the matter is, yes, parenting is hard. And I'm saying this as a a fairly new mom. But it also brings incredible joy. And that is one silver lining in all of this crazy quarantine stuff is that we do get to spend more quality time with our families than we did before. And I think that we should see that in a more grateful light rather than uh, pretending like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Yeah, it's true. true. I I thought about that, too, with the social media angle and that, like, our kids are going to look back at this. I mean, you're you're too young on your side there, but like I have kids that are uh, seven and eight. And they're going to look back at this, I would think, as a really strange time that kind of stands out if they were yeah. home for a while. But they're not going to look at it as the middle of tragic stress. I, I, I want them to remember this as kind of a fun time where, for whatever reason, they were home with mom and dad a heck of a lot more. Um, and, you know, I, th- like, I think trying to think about it in that light does help you deal with it as well. Yeah. I think, I think so. I think there are a lot of blessings in this. Of course, I'm not trying to minimize the burdens that people are carrying right now. Yeah. And for people who do have kids and they just lost their job, I understand that's really hard. But for those of us who can enjoy the quality time that we are having with our kids, especially for parents who I, I guess like you guys, like your kids are out of school. And so you're getting the opportunity to be able to shape them even more than you could before and direct them how you want to direct them when it comes to curriculum and even when it comes to extracurricular stuff. And so there's an opportunity there for sure for us to just enjoy our kids and for us to remind our kids that we enjoy them as people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's an interesting thing that's happened here, though, where you have millions of people who, for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, just financial or it's the way they grew up or they just didn't think that, that, that they were that type of person to be able to homeschool. I think it takes someone really special to do that well. <laughs> um, and now they're kind of jumping right into that world with no preparation, no real thought about how they were going to do it. And it is, I think, something that's got to be really difficult for a lot of people. I know my wife struggles with it. Um, and it, it's like it's a, it's a thing where. There is an opportunity there, um, but you have to really figure out ways to kind of handle such a drastic life change that happened kind of at the drop of a hat. Yes, that's true. And I don't have a whole lot of advice for moms who are homeschooling right now. Obviously, I'm not in that position. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My sister-in-law was a teacher. So I've got a lot of teachers in my family who just happened to do this really well. And so they seem to be adjusting well to, you know, all of this as they're helping each other try to figure out how to do this. But there are a lot of parents and I probably fall into this category as well. That's just not our gift. And all of a sudden it has to be your gift Mm. or else your child is going to fall behind. But I have seen some teachers 
encourage parents that, hey, you don't have to pretend to be a math teacher or to be an English teacher. Um, help your kids learn in other ways through activities and things that you do well. I don't know how it's going to work, but somehow these kids are probably going to have to make up for some of the lost time in all of this. And I hope parents don't feel too much pressure. I mean, if I had a middle schooler that was going through math, I would probably be struggling. <laughs> I mean, all of us carry around our calculators nowadays. I mean, we're a lost cause when it comes to graphs and geometry and things oh, like yeah. that. Are you kidding? I would be completely helpless. Um, so more power to all of the parents that are trying to figure this out, but hopefully they can relieve themselves of some pressure of being perfect teachers, because I don't think that that's expected of them. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, I think there's a, uh, stepping away from the parenting side of this for a minute, you know, when we have major changes like this, people go through everything from depression to just not being able to deal with this new life. There looks to be real financial instability uh, that's hitting us now and is probably going to be hitting this, uh, you know, the country for months and months to come. Um, I think a lot of people trying to deal with that uh, and that it's unexpected. It's kind of out of nowhere. And we so many in this country, I think, have gone away from thinking of anything larger than themselves. There's just, you know, what am I doing today? What is my goal today? I'm not thinking about you know, a higher power or anything like that. Um, is this the type of situation? I mean, I think it is at least where that is like that can be your foundation like this is the time where that is probably the most important and this country has drifted further and further away from that and i think that could cause real problems in the next coming months well we're seeing the tangible consequences of what happens when people only think about themselves i mean we've been talking about the spring breakers and the college mm -hmm. students who you know they've been caught on camera saying that, oh, I don't care. I'm not going to get it. It's not that big of a deal. And even if I do get it, it's not going to be that bad. And they've kind of had to be scolded several times by their elders like me um, <laughs> to say, hey, you've got to think about other people. It's not just about you. And oh, by the way, this could affect you worse than you thought. But it's also about other people who are vulnerable. And now I'm not saying that people shouldn't live their lives at all. And I understand that not everyone can stay in their home all of the time. But we've had to have a lot of lectures, it seems like, over the past few weeks about the importance of thinking of other people. The problem is, is that most of the country nowadays, they, they don't have any kind of moral foundation. They don't have any kind of religious foundation. So the question that has to be answered by secularists, which is just not answered very effectively or completely, is why? Why think about other people? Why be compassionate? Why put other people above yourself? In this culture that has been telling us for years, to love yourself first, to do what makes you happy, to do what feels good to you, good vibes only. Don't think about other people, cut all the toxic people out of your life and just do what is easy. And now all of a sudden, in the time of a crisis and a pandemic, we're being told, no, 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 think about other people. You should put other people first. Don't just do what makes you happy. And I think you've got a lot of confused young people saying, hang on, why? Why should I care? And of course, I believe the answer to be, well, because God tells us to. That's my foundation. The word of God is my foundation. Jesus Christ is my foundation and the thing that compels me to all of those things. But when you don't have a why, 
that's, that's why we have to start cracking down on people or that's why people feel like they have to start cracking down on people. You've got a bunch of young people who don't have any reason whatsoever to put other people before themselves. I think we got the, the perfect pitch here for your book, which is coming out in August, uh, which talks about this. And I, I want to have you back when it comes out for a full, uh, you know, to, to really go through because it, it, it is such, I, I do feel like we are a culture that has started uh, favoring Pinterest advice as opposed to uh, the Bible. And, you know, that's not that's not a good move. This is not a move that leads to good things in the future. But it does seem like that is the source of strength for so many. A, a, an inspirational quote, you know, this little the, with a cute little kitty picture or something behind it winds up being a foundational driver. And that's that that's there's no there's no gas in that tank. There are so many reasons for that, too. I mean, with the personalization of technology, instant gratification, our minds just, they don't exercise as much as they used to. And yeah. so we really want that instant hit. We really want that quick and easy quote that's easily shared, easily retweeted, easily understood, that doesn't make us think very hard. Obviously, there are a lot of goods to the instant gratification that the internet, that technology brings us. But that's one of the bad things is that we've replaced critical thinking that comes with reading and research and things like that with thumbing through our phones and our minds really just turn off. And so our brain being like a muscle just atrophies, but it's not just our brain that has become dumber collectively as a generation or just, I guess, as people living in 2020, but it's also um, the spiritual component in our lives that has really uh, fallen to the wayside. And actually, I won't say that the spiritual component has, because there's a lot of people that are searching for something in the new age and witchcraft and all of that. But the biblical foundation that used to come, you know, part and parcel with being an American for a lot of people is now seen as... Um, very, not just unpopular, but not trendy, not sophisticated, not academic, not intellectual. And so people have abandoned critical thinking. They've abandoned any kind of biblical foundation. What you're left with is decontextualized Pinterest quotes that sound really good and self-empowering, but don't mean anything. And that's why the whole paradox, the irony in this whole self-love culture that I call trendy narcissism that's constantly telling girls, hey, you'll be happy if you just love yourself more, put yourself first, you're perfect the way you are, find your own truth, discover yourself and all this stuff, is that we're not happier. Like if you, I think this pandemic also reveals how many people already struggle with loneliness and purposelessness and anxiety and depression. And if self-love and just doing whatever makes you happy, if that was really the antidote to all of our sadness and loneliness, then we would be a lot happier than we actually are because we've been hearing this message for decades at this point. So the point of my book is that, hey, this self-love culture and this message that we're getting of trendy narcissism obviously isn't working. Maybe we should build our lives, build our foundation on something that is proven to work um, and is a lot more substantive and is in fact eternal rather than so temporary. And that would be God's word and the Christian life that Jesus calls us to. Mm, it's a really important message and perfectly timed for uh, for this time in our history. Very much needed. Ali Beth Sucky, host of Relatable and the upcoming book, You're Not Enough. And that's okay. Thanks for coming on the program. I appreciate it.
Thanks so much. Thanks. And uh, don't forget that you can, of course, see uh, Ali and get all that, uh, all, all Ali stuff, and as well as uh, my stupid show and a bunch of other really good ones uh, at Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and use the promo code stew, and you'll save 30 bucks. Back in a second. If you made it through that last incredibly depressing segment and you're still here, please subscribe and share this thing so I can, you know, I can depress the hell out of everybody else, too. We'll see you tomorrow.